when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a rushing, a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire entire house where they were sitting, and divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together, and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, uh, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians, where we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others mocking said, they are filled with new wine. Amen. So this is God's word. It's great to meet with you guys, uh, even over this format. Um, it's a good reminder uh, that the church is not a place or a building or a tradition like that, but it is the people of God filled with the spirit of God. Although I must say, like being on Zoom, I'm getting like a little PTSD and I feel like a coronavirus is right outside my door. But I'm like, no, when I see you guys face to face, there's nothing to worry about. But I still have that kind of feeling. Um, so we're in a book, uh, the book of Acts, and Sam introduced us to it last week. And last week he talked about how there's these weird and unexpected things that happen throughout the book of Acts. And one of the things that happened that's a little bit weird or a little bit unexpected is... Um, you have to let go of something good and trust that something better is around the corner. You got to let go of something good and trust that something better is around the corner. And we run into this situation all the time as we're raising a daughter, you know, every now and again, maybe like once a month or something like that, we'll say, Arlo, we're going to go out for ice cream. And then she gets very excited about ice cream. And then right as we're about to leave the door, she's like, um, can I have some fruit snacks? And I'm like, fruit snacks? Fruit snacks are little droplets of sugar and juice and gummy, and they get stuck in your teeth. There's nothing good there. We're going to get ice cream. It's filled with wonderful fat, and it makes your belly feel full, and it's cold, and it just goes uh, over your teeth, and it makes you feel like crunch and like soft, and it's all the contrast that you want. She's like, yeah, but I really like fruit snacks. I'm like, Arlo, come on. Let go of the fruit snacks and trust that something better is on the horizon. And whenever we face like major transitions, this is something we also tell ourselves. We got to let go and trust that something better is on the way. So you leave your little lower school friends, you go into middle school, you go, this is going to be better. You leave middle school, you go into high school, you go, this is going to be better. Same thing for college, same thing when you move to New York. And maybe sometimes you kind of lie to yourself and you go, I'm not sure if it's going to be better, but what choice do I have? I got to move on. And we're in the same transition with Jesus. Jesus is telling his disciples, you got to let go of me and trust that what's coming next is even better. And he says this probably the most strongly in John chapter 16, verse 7. He says, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage. It's better for you if I go away. For if I don't go away, the helper will not come to you. 
And Jesus is challenging his disciples saying, I know you love me. I know you've seen me do great and wonderful things, but you got to let go of me because somebody else is coming and it's going to be much better for you. And that's exactly where Acts chapter two picks up. The disciples are waiting and waiting for this something better. And all of a sudden, this something better does show up. And the question that we have to answer is, is the spirit really better than what the disciples had before? So with that question, we're going to pause, we're going to pray, and then we're going to look at this passage. All right, let's pray. Dear God, we just thank you so much for gathering us together in this way. And the thing that we're going to talk about, which is your Holy Spirit, is what makes this possible. We don't necessarily have to be in the same place because the thing that binds us together is your spirit. And my prayer this morning is simple. Fill Good News Church with the power of your Holy Spirit. May we sense that you are with us in a deep and powerful way where there was fear, where there be courage, where there was brokenness, may people be made whole, where there is isolation and alienation, may we draw people closer to you, not because we're gifted, not because um, we have something of our own selves to offer, but because we have your spirit. So fill our church with your spirit. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Okay, so what we see in these verses is the Holy Spirit makes quite an entrance. And we might think that the answer to the question is what's coming up next better than what we had before. We might think the answer is automatically yes, because compare how Jesus came into the world versus the Holy Spirit. Jesus came in in a time of persecution and he was born as a tiny little baby that still probably needed diapers. He was born into a, a manger and the place probably smelled like um, animals and there was hay and it was a dirty, nasty, stinky place. So Jesus came and it was not that great of an entrance. But when you look at verses two and three, you see when the Holy Spirit comes, there's like a lot of crazy things that happen. So what happens? The Holy Spirit, first of all, comes from heaven. So you look up in the sky and something is coming through. Then you hear that there's a sound like rushing wind, like a tornado ripping through your apartment. And it goes, and then you go, oh my goodness, something crazy is happening. And then uh, it doesn't disappoint with sound. You look and you see tiny flames of fire dividing up in your apartment and falling on every person there. And when you see that, you go, wow, this is a great entrance. Jesus was right. And when you look at ancient Jewish texts from this time period, you notice that all of these things, a mighty rushing wind, flames of fire, uh, the heavens opening up, are a signal that a new age is coming, that heaven has broken into earth and is going to start infiltrating the way that earth functions. And so the next question we have to ask then is, well, now that this great and amazing entrance has happened, what is it that the Holy Spirit is going to do? What is it going to allow the disciples to do? And if you forget that you know the end of the story, you could kind of let your imagination wander. Wow, tongues of fire have fallen on the disciples. And me with my like um, 10-year-old brain, I'm like, oh, maybe they'll become like the human torch from uh, the Fantastic Four. And anytime they want, they can go flame on and then their bodies will turn into flame and they can melt whatever they want. Or tongues of fire. Okay, maybe they got tongues of fire. They're going to be able to breathe out fire like dragons and burn up anything that's in front of them. But when you look at what it actually allows them to do, 
you might be a little disappointed. What we see is the Holy Spirit comes in tongues of fire, and the gift that it gives to the early church is it allows them to speak in other languages. And you might be like, it allows them to speak in other languages. So this is like the ancient version of Google Translate or something like that's all that the Holy Spirit's going to let them do. And, you know, I was like really um, like in a mode uh, before school started. So I watched all of the Lord of the Rings to like have on to ignore so I could read other stuff. And in that movie, like they're all fighting over this ring, the ring of power. You got to get it. And then you're like, oh, what does this ring do? It just makes the person who wears it invisible. And you're kind of like, that's it. <laughs> they're all fighting for this little thing. And when you see the Holy Spirit come with fire and then you're like, what does it do? It just makes you speak in other languages. You're kind of like, is that it? Now, one thing you need to know about the book of Acts is it's written by Luke. And by ancient standards, Luke is a very good historian. He researched all of the names and correct titles of the Roman officials who are around while the church was doing what it was doing throughout the book of Acts. So he did research. He talked to different people. There's pretty strong evidence that he was actually a first hand eyewitness account for some of Paul's missionary travels. And one of the things he does as a historian is he looks at ancient sources and he weaves them into the things that he's talking about. And when you look in these verses, you see that Luke is talking about an old story, a couple of old stories from the Old Testament to show you how powerful and earth shattering what the Holy Spirit is doing here actually is. And so in verses five and six, we hear this small little detail. It says, Jews from every nation under heaven heard the disciples. And at this, the multitude came together. Back in the day, the Jews were one nation. Uh, but over time, they were scattered over the entire face of the earth. And here, Luke is referencing the exile. And this took place in two stages in 722 B.C., uh, the Assyrians took over the Northern Kingdom. In 586 BCE, the Babylonians took over the Southern Kingdom. And as a result, God's people had spread from this one place throughout the entire known world. And when you look through the Old Testament, you realize the reason that God did this is that Israel had turned away from worshiping the true God and started worshiping idols. And they were not faithful to keep the covenant that God had made with them way, way back. Now, the Jews were religiously one. And probably a lot of them looked very similar, but ethnically and culturally, they were as different as night and day. They could not even speak the same language. In verses 9 through 11 of this passage, Luke mentions all of the different places that the Jews had been scattered to. Let's take two, Mesopotamia, he mentions. This is the place in Asia Minor. This is where uh, modern-day Turkey is. This is where the Garden of Eden was supposedly planted. And Mesopotamia at the time was a very agrarian place, a lot of farmers, and everything about their life centered around farming. The building materials that they used were brick and clay, so everything was brown and red, and the languages they spoke were Sumerian, Akkadian, and Aramaic. But on the other side of the empire, you hear that Jews had come from Rome, and at this time, Rome was one of the biggest cities in the entire world. It was probably a million people strong. They had just transitioned from a republic into an empire and were about to enter a golden age where politics and economics and literature were flourishing. And everything that had been built in Rome was made of marble. The city was white. And the language they spoke was Greek and Latin, not Akkadian, not Sumerian, not Aramaic. 
And the difference between a Jew from Rome and a Jew from Mesopotamia would be the same as meeting a Korean guy from Russia versus a Korean guy from the United States. And I don't know if you remember this, but when you first encounter people like that, you have a certain expectation, but then you hear them speak in a completely different language. It kind of throws you off because people from one nation who have ended up settling in different parts of the world, they look alike and you assume they would be alike. But when you hear them speak, you realize their day-to-day life is completely different. But with the emphasis on many different languages, Luke is also talking about another story from the Old Testament. And this comes from Genesis chapter 11 and the Tower of Babel. And in that story, we're told that at the beginning of the world, everybody spoke one language. And when they spoke one language, they say, let us work together and build this huge tower that reaches into the heavens. And if we can accomplish that, then we can accomplish anything. And God saw this and said, if they do that, they will have that ability, but they don't have the character of God or the wisdom of God. And they'll end up doing unpleasant and disgraceful things throughout the world. So there he confuse their languages. And this is one of Arlo's favorite stories in the Bible, because in the children's Bible, the author makes it very funny. And she says, one day, all of a sudden, nobody could understand anybody else. So one person would say to the other person, how do you do? But the other person would hear, how ugly are you? And she thinks that's a very funny line. But then the author's like, don't laugh. That's not funny. But why did she make it funny then? But Arlo loves that story. So we read it, I don't know, 30 times. So with the emphasis on language, you see that Luke is also referencing the exile, but this story about how everybody, not just the Jews, have been scattered because of language. And through this one simple gift, what we see the Holy Spirit do is something powerful, something groundbreaking. He is reversing the effects of the curse. The curse of the exile was that the Jews had been scattered, but we see here that they are being gathered into a multitude. With the Tower of Babel, the languages had been confused. Nobody could understand each other. Everyone was lost in isolation. But because of the power of the Holy Spirit, all of a sudden, people could understand and hear for the first time. Now, I have a very long and frustrated relationship with language. I did not want to get a real job for a very, very long time, so I stayed in school for as long as possible. And in order to get a, a, a master's of divinity, I had to learn Greek, I had to learn Hebrew. In order to get a PhD, I had to learn Latin, I had to learn German, I had to learn French. And after all of that time, um, I'm only really good at English. Uh, and that's basically it. And after I told my mom, you know, like, this is what I'm doing with my life. She's like, how come you're learning all these languages, but you still can't speak Korean? I'm like, well, I don't know. And it was so strange. Like we had worked out this arrangement where for years, the way we got to know each other is I would speak in English. She would speak in Korean and we both go, "Mm, mm," and we would understand each other. But this will change when I got married because uh, Jen's Korean is much better than I. So she would witness these conversations where I'd speak in English, my mom would speak in Korean, we go, hmm, hmm. But she could tell from what I was saying and from what my mom was saying that we had no idea what the other person was talking about. She's like, that's not what your mom said. She said something completely different. I was like, she did? She said, she's like, do you know what this word means? I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> it doesn't mean like a food or something. She goes, no, it has nothing to do with that. And I realized like my entire relationship with my mom was built off of, hmm. Mm, but we had no understanding of each other. 
So most of us can probably relate to the frustration that not understanding or not knowing the language can bring. Uh, part of the PhD studies, I went to Germany for six months and it's so frustrating just trying to get through normal life and order a coffee or figure out where the bathroom is, but you don't really speak the language. But because English is basically one of only two world languages ever to have existed, the other one is Latin, where everybody, wherever they live, pretty much wants to know English, you could get by. But when we think about a lot of our parents who probably came to this country and could not speak the language, then we begin to understand how powerful language can be. Back in their home countries, our parents had the freedom to go and do whatever they pleased. And they were never made to feel like they didn't belong based off of what they said. But when they got here, everything changed. For example, a lot of them looked strange to the people who lived here. And the moment they opened their mouths and people heard them speak, they automatically assumed that they were slow, that they were dumb, that they didn't know what was going on. And if you think about how much of life is filtered through language, you begin to get a sense of how frustrating it must have been for people in our parents' generation, trying to get through red tape just to get services through the government, going to a parent-teacher conference, you don't understand what the teacher is saying, and your kid, who's like seven years old, has to translate for you. And it's so awkward because the teacher's talking about the kid, and the kid has to say, I'm not being a good kid to his parent. It's so strange thinking about healthcare or a visit to the doctors. And if you don't know the language and the doctor can't communicate, you have no idea what they're saying or what they're asking you to do. And even like something that you encounter all the time nowadays is like your parents will be like, hey, I'm having trouble with the internet and I can't understand what the Verizon guy is saying. Can you call? And it's like, no, I can't call. I have a job. So can you figure something else out? It's so frustrating if you don't speak the language to try and get through life and it leaves you feeling alienated. It leaves you feeling like dumb. It leaves you feeling like all you want to do is kind of hole up in your house and not talk to anyone. But imagine how powerful it is when all of a sudden somebody speaks to you and you hear it in a language that you can understand. Um, a few Christmases ago, there was this video clip that started circulating of this little girl who was sitting on uh, like a mall Santa's lap in England. And the Santa asks this girl, hey, what do you want for Christmas? But she doesn't respond. And the parents chime in and they say that um, she can't speak. Um, she's like developmentally a little bit slow. So she doesn't have the ability to communicate. But then the Santa asks, oh, can she um, sign? Can she use sign language? And the parents are like, yeah, she can sign. And immediately the Santa starts signing to her and asking her what she wants for Christmas. And this girl who was, you know, kind of confused a little bit and kind of unsure when she saw Santa signing to her in a way that she could understand, she came alive and started talking about how she wanted like these animals and how she wanted all these different things. And for the first time in her life, she heard Santa speak to her in a language that she could understand. Now, since Genesis 11, language and our inability to understand one another has brought about isolation, it's brought about misunderstanding, it's brought about frustration, embarrassment, and a sense of loneliness. But with his first gift, the Holy Spirit pierces through all of that and reverses the effect of these two curses and lets us hear in a language that we understand about the mighty works of God. All of a sudden, all of the effects of the curse that have kept us from really experiencing who God is have been pierced through and the Holy Spirit allows us to hear for the first time 
about who God is in a way that we can understand. And this kind of makes sense when you think about the history of the church in America in the 21st century and the 20th century, especially when you think about our parents' generation from Monday through Saturday, they're frustrated living in a place where they can't speak, they don't understand what's going on, but on Sunday, they go to a place in a language that they can understand, and what they hear is God's gospel message bringing them together, encouraging them, and strengthening them. Good news, church. Today, we have the same Holy Spirit that fell in Acts chapter 2. It gives us the power to speak in a way where people can understand the mighty acts of God. It can pierce through people's frustration, their isolation, their shame, and their embarrassment, and it lets them know something powerful. It lets them know that God has not given up on them. A lot of us, I think, are probably pretty afraid or unsure about how to share the gospel or how to use our mouths or how to use our words to talk to the people around us about our faith. So I just wanted to give you one encouragement, and it comes from Luke chapter 12, verse 12. It says, don't be anxious about what you should say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you in that hour, and he will tell you what you ought to say. So my encouragement today is, Good News Church, let's open our mouths. Let's speak to the people around us and let's proclaim to them that no matter what they have going on in their life, that there's something better on the horizon. All right, let's pray. Um, let's just take a few seconds and think about this miraculous gift that the Holy Spirit has poured out on us. We are not alone. It's not just how smart we are. It's not just how much money we have. It's not just where all these things have gotten us in the world. What we have is something even more powerful. We have the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit allows people to experience Christ's presence in a deep and powerful way, like hearing for the first time in your own language something great and profound. The ministry that we are going to do as a church is not dependent on us, it's dependent on this spirit. So let's take a few minutes and just pray for the spirit to fill our lives, fill our church, fill our prayers, fill our families, so that we're not always frustrated and feeling isolated and alone, but we know that the spirit who allows us to speak with power is with us and a part of us. So let's pray like that, ask God to fill our church with the spirit, uh, and then Pastor Sam will lead us uh, in some songs.